the International Atomic Energy Agency, or the IAEA, that's charged with monitoring Iran's nuclear commitments under the deal, has eight times now verified that Iran is continuing to comply with its commitments. And this is an assessment that's shared by our own intelligence community, our own nuclear experts, and by our partners who are implementing the deal alongside us. So there's really no doubt that Iran is continuing to comply with its commitments. This is Nukes of Hazard, a podcast from the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation in Washington, D.C. I'm James McKeon, a policy analyst here at the Center. And today we're talking about the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA. It's also known as the Iran Deal. In previous episodes, we covered what the agreement does, including the two-year anniversary episode where we interviewed Wendy Sherman, the lead U.S. negotiator of the agreement, and Richard Nephew, the lead American sanctions expert during the negotiations. But last Friday, the 13th, I should point out, everything changed. Today I am announcing our strategy, along with several major steps we are taking to confront the Iranian regime's hostile actions and to ensure that Iran never, and I mean never, acquires a nuclear weapon. That was the beginning of President Trump's speech, where he announced that he was refusing to certify the Iran nuclear agreement under a law called the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, or ANARA. We'll get to that in a second, but we listened to that speech very carefully. We'd feel remiss if we didn't respond to certain claims he made that were fundamentally inaccurate or misleading. Like this one, where he discussed the fact that the Obama administration brought together an international coalition to sanction Iran that ultimately forced the Iranians to come to the negotiating table to discuss their nuclear program. The previous administration lifted these sanctions just before what would have been the total collapse of the Iranian regime. We want to be very clear. There is not even a shred of evidence that this resembles anything near the truth. While sanctions hurt the Iranian economy with many billions of dollars in lost revenues, enough to bring them to the negotiating table, the Iranian regime has handled much worse economic damage. The Iran-Iraq War, an absolutely dreadful conflict that took place between 1980 and 1988, cost the Iranian economy an estimated $600 billion in losses. The regime still survived. Plus, the only sanctions that were relieved under the Iran deal were nuclear-related sanctions. All other sanctions against Iran for ballistic missile activity, sponsorship of terrorism, human rights violations, and more are still in place. And unless Iran changes their behavior, they aren't going anywhere. The nuclear deal threw Iran's dictatorship a political and economic lifeline, providing urgently needed relief from the intense domestic pressure the sanctions had created. It also gave the regime an immediate financial boost. And over $100 billion its government could use to fund terrorism. On the campaign trail, President Trump used to say we gave the Iranians $150 billion. So at least he's closer to the truth now, but his claim is still factually inaccurate. First, we didn't give or pay the Iranians anything. 
All of the money released was Iran's own frozen assets. And given the debts that the Iranians owe, the actual number, according to former Secretary of the Treasury Jack Lew, is more like $50 billion. That's a small number considering that Iranian demand for domestic investment, like unpaid military pensions and salaries, as well as infrastructure, is estimated at over $500 billion. Plus, Iranian assets were unfrozen only after they verifiably took steps that severely limited their nuclear program. The saddest part of the deal for the United States is that all of the money was paid up front, which is unheard of, rather than at the end of the deal when they have shown they've played by the rules. Paid up front is wildly misleading. Here's just a sample of what Iran actually did before select assets were unfrozen. Dismantling a good deal of nuclear infrastructure, shipping out 98% of its enriched uranium, pouring concrete into its only reactor that could have been used in a plutonium pathway to a nuclear bomb, rendering it inoperable. And perhaps most important, allowing the IAEA to implement monitoring and surveillance measures to ensure that Iran's nuclear program is and remains exclusively peaceful going forward. That's Tess Bridgman, the former deputy legal advisor to the National Security Council from 2014 to the end of the Obama administration. She was part of the team that worked with Capitol Hill in negotiating the aforementioned Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, or ANARA, which was passed in 2015. As I mentioned, we'll get to that, but unfortunately, there are further falsities to correct. We got weak inspections in exchange for no more than a purely short-term and temporary delay in Iran's path to nuclear weapons. What is the purpose of a deal that, at best, only delays Iran's nuclear capability for a short period of time? I don't even know where to begin with this one. Even opponents of the Iran deal are forced to admit that it's the most robust and strict agreement in the history of nuclear arms control. The 24-7 tools of verification given to the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, are unprecedented. The IAEA is closely monitoring Iran's supply chain of nuclear materials, centrifuge production lines, and any purchases that might be used for a nuclear program. The deal also provides timely inspections to any undeclared facilities where suspected nuclear activity may be occurring. If Iran does cheat, they will be caught, and sanctions will be reimposed. As for the short period of time claim, well, that's not true either. Yes, some of the restrictions don't last forever, but major restrictions don't begin expiring for 8, 13, 18, and 23 years. Moreover, Iran committed to the IAEA's additional protocol, which subjects Iran to strict inspections in perpetuity. The Iranian regime has committed multiple violations of the agreement. For example, on two separate occasions, they have exceeded the limit of 130 metric tons of heavy water. Until recently, the Iranian regime has also failed to meet our expectations in its operation of advanced centrifuges. We could refute these points very technically, but without boring you, here's the deal. The IAEA has issued numerous reports that are unequivocal about Iran complying with the agreement. There have been no major violations whatsoever. In 2015, 
Congress passed the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act to ensure that Congress's voice would be heard on the deal. Among other conditions, this law requires the President or his designee to certify that the suspension of sanctions under the deal is appropriate and proportionate to measure and other measures taken by Iran to terminate its illicit nuclear program. Based on the factual record I have put forward, I am announcing today that we cannot and will not make this certification. Okay, here's where something the president said wasn't false, except for his use of the word factual. The Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, or ANARA, was passed in 2015 to ostensibly flex Congress's oversight responsibilities with the agreement. Let's bring in Tess to explain this whole certification thing. The certification that's been getting a lot of attention lately uh, is one of two mechanisms that Congress set up to give itself an opportunity to decide whether the U.S. should stay in the nuclear deal if there's noncompliance. Now, one of those triggers is a material breach report provision that allows for Congress to decide to take the U.S. out of the deal if there's a really significant compliance problem. Of course, there is no compliance problem, so that wouldn't work. Tess says it best. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or the IAEA, that's charged with monitoring Iran's nuclear commitments under the deal, has eight times now verified that Iran is continuing to comply with its commitments. And this is an assessment that's shared by our own intelligence community, our own nuclear experts, and by our partners who are implementing the deal alongside us. So there's really no doubt that Iran is continuing to comply with its commitments. But there's another way that Trump could not certify the agreement, so to speak, under ANARA. This brings into play the other mechanism that Congress set up So this compliance certification is what's been in the news lately. It has four parts. The first three parts relate to whether or not Iran is complying with the deal, whether it's transparently, verifiably, and fully implementing the deal, whether it's committed a a material breach, and if it has, whether that has been resolved, and whether it's taken any actions that could advance a nuclear weapons program. But the fourth prong is unrelated to whether Iran is continuing to comply with its nuclear commitments. And that fourth prong requires the president to determine whether suspension of sanctions is vital to the national security interests of the United States. Vital to the national security interests of the United States is so broad that President Trump doesn't have to cite any evidence to not certify the agreement under the law. And indeed, there has been no change in circumstances and really no new information since the last two times the Trump administration made this same certification. You heard that right. The Trump administration is required every 90 days under ANARA to certify Iranian compliance. The first two times it came up, the administration certified. And again, nothing has changed since in terms of Iran's compliance with the agreement. Now, after a lack of certification, the law is very clear. Congress has a 60-day expedited window to reimpose the nuclear-only sanctions that were waived under the agreement in return for the unprecedented restrictions and monitoring we received. 
This expedited procedure means there are limits on how long the debates can last, and the Senate gets no filibuster opportunity, which means the reimposition of sanctions could happen with just 50 votes. But here's the thing. Congress is not required under ANARA to do anything following a failure to certify. And in these circumstances, for once, Inaction, I think, is the best course for Congress. Congress has been really good, of course, at doing nothing over the past few years. And in this case, they're not only allowed to do nothing, but doing nothing would actually be the right thing to do, because Iran has been verifiably complying with the agreement. If sanctions are reimposed, our end of the deal is now over, and the agreement will likely fall apart. That means all restrictions on Iran's nuclear program that were hard-earned through diplomacy will be gone. That, in turn, increases the chances of an unimaginable military conflict with Iran, as was the case the years before the agreement was signed. Plus, we already have a mechanism to reimpose sanctions against Iran, but only if they actually violate the agreement. The ability to implement snapback sanctions has never gone away. But there's something else Congress is talking about doing now that Trump hasn't certified the agreement. Even if Congress is not asked and indeed does not use Inara's expedited procedures to snap sanctions back into place, it's also possible that Congress could seek to pass new legislation in an attempt to exact new concessions from Iran. That process, because it's not part of Inara, would require 60 votes in the Senate. And this is exactly what's being proposed by Republican legislators like Senators Tom Cotton from Arkansas and Bob Corker from Tennessee. Their approach involves automatically snapping back sanctions against Iran if they cross an arbitrary threshold in their nuclear program, even though crossing that threshold wouldn't necessarily violate the agreement. It's basically Congress trying to renegotiate the agreement unilaterally. There are a lot of problems with that. For example... It's important to keep in mind that the JCPOA is not a bilateral arrangement between the United States and Iran. It's a multilateral arrangement negotiated among the United States, the UK, Germany, France, Russia, China, the EU, and Iran, and subsequently endorsed by the UN Security Council. None of our multilateral partners think the deal should be renegotiated, and in fact, all of them agree that the deal is working. They've made clear that, in their view, the deal is simply not up for renegotiation. Simply put, violating our own commitments to get new concessions won't work. It would be the United States and not Iran that would be isolated by this approach. We would have less leverage and credibility than we do now, not more, leaving us in a weaker negotiating position, not a stronger one. Our partners in Europe and Asia wouldn't go along with the reimposition of sanctions. We are who will be isolated, not Iran. There was one aspect of President Trump's speech that really stood out. As we have seen in North Korea, the longer we ignore a threat, the worse that threat becomes. We fundamentally agree with the president about ignoring threats. The thing is, we didn't ignore the threat of North Korea's nuclear program. As we discussed in an earlier episode called the Once and Future Framework, we had an agreement with North Korea called the Agreed Framework that actually worked. North Korea's nuclear program was verifiably restricted for nearly a decade. 
But the George W. Bush administration hated the agreement and then abandoned it. Three years later, North Korea tested its first nuclear weapon. Don't get me wrong, the North Koreans were engaging in some very nefarious activity outside of the agreement that had to be dealt with, but we've seen the results of abandoning that agreement. Experts estimate that North Korea now has at least 20 nuclear weapons. They've conducted six nuclear tests, and they're rapidly advancing their missile technology. That's the thing about the Iran deal. It verifiably constrains Iran's nuclear program before Iran gets an actual nuclear weapon. The biggest fear in the nuclear policy community is that the administration will ruin the Iran deal, and we will all watch as history repeats itself. It's the worst case scenario, and one we can't afford to let happen. No one thinks the Iran deal is perfect. No arms control agreement has been, or ever will be, perfect. It would have been great to have zero uranium enrichment and indefinite restrictions on Iran's nuclear program, but an agreement is an agreement for a reason. It takes compromise. Today, most critics of the deal begrudgingly accept that it's working. But some select critics, many of whom have the ear of the White House, essentially argue that the so-called sunset provisions, the provisions of the agreement that expire after many years, are so bad that we should abandon the agreement altogether. It's a logic that comes down to this. Instead of a sunset, let's have a supernova. The bottom line is clear. The Iran deal is working. Our intelligence officials say so. Our allies say so. International monitors say so. You know who else says so? James Mattis, the United States Secretary of Defense. Here's what he said during a Senate committee hearing just a couple of weeks ago, when asked a question by Senator Angus King of Maine. Do you believe it's in our national security interest at the present time to remain in the JCPOA? That's a yes or no question. Yes, Senator, I do. Congress, are you listening? If you enjoyed this episode of Nukes of Hazard, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, you can shoot us an email at podcast at armscontrolcenter.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at nukes underscore of underscore hazard. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash armscontrolcenter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.